1965, the king of Seoul, Otis Redding, he wrote a song that would then, that would come and take our country by storm, all right? So um, he, however, we don't know the song because of Otis Redding, all right? So he wrote the song in 1965, but we don't know this song because of Otis Redding, but um, we actually see it that he was, it was written by him. And this, rather, the song became a hit a couple of years because of a female vocalist that all of us know, Aretha Franklin, all right? Everybody know Aretha Franklin? Yeah, we love Aretha Franklin. So the song was called Respect, all right? So everybody knows the song. You probably have it playing in your head a little bit right now. And it became a sensation in the United States. So you have a picture here with Aretha Franklin and the song Respect. And the song hit at the country at just the right time, so it really came and exploded in 1967. It's the height of the Vietnam War. You also have the women's and civil rights movements that are taking place. And as Aretha took this song from Otis Redding, she didn't just rip it off of Otis. Rather, she made some crucial adjustments to the lyrics that really transformed the essence of the song for our country. So Otis's version was written as a man's plea to his significant other to respect him. Um, and Aretha turned this into an anthem for respect for both women and minorities in our country. And Otis's version didn't have the word respect spelled out in it. That's a little twist that Aretha put into it. And so as they did that, it became this, um, it amplified the message of this idea of respect for those that were viewed as less than in our country. And Here's what actually happened. Like, it worked, right? So these changes that she made to the song, it worked. It took our country by storm. And within weeks of its release, it climbed to number one on the billboards, and it stayed there for 12 weeks. Like, that's a quarter of our whole entire year. One of the longest runs at number one on the billboard um, in all of uh, music records. And so here's how Aretha recounted this whole entire experience in her autobiography she wrote in 1999. She says this, It was the need of a nation, the need of the average man and woman in the street, the businessman, the mother, the fireman, the teacher. Everyone wanted respect. All right, so with everything that was happening in our country at the time, like we said, the height of Vietnam War, the civil rights movement, the women's uh, movement, it's easy to see why this song exploded, right? So you have this perfect concoction of talent, of this necessary message, as well as the problem that the message is speaking into. And however, I, I believe if you just stay at that, if you just stay at that surface level, you're really missing the deeper layer to why I believe this song speaks not just at that moment, but even to our hearts today. I mean, that's why every single one of us know this song and can sing this song, because it, it pulls at our heartstrings. So if you really get to the question, well, why does everybody want respect why is everybody searching and longing for this significance, this worth, and this value to be recognized in every single one of us? Well, it's because, I believe, the passage that we're looking at tonight. All right, so tonight we're looking at this passage that says that we are created in God's image. So last week we looked at all six days of creation. We just kind of get this broad overview of God's creation, how he brought this world into existence, how this First line of the creation account really gives us the filter by which we read all the rest of the Bible because it gives us the picture that this, this world is created 
by this personable triune God that has worked in human history in order for us to have meaning and significance in relationship with him, that we literally live through the relationship that we have with this incredible God. And so tonight what we're wanting to do is we're going to come in and we're going to look at this sixth day of creation and we're going to look at it with a microscope. So last week we kind of like did a quick overview of it, but I believe there speaks a lot to us and what we really need to know as we look at the rest of the Bible, as we look at the the rest of the redemptive account that God works out in the scriptures, this is such an important part for us to understand and wrestle with this deep, long desires that we have to be acknowledged and to have the worth and significance and value acknowledged that's deep down inside of us. So here's what I want us to do, all right? I want us to consider this passage in three different ways, all right? The first one is I want us to identify or I want us to recognize the identity of the Imago Dei, all right? So it's this Latin phrase that is standing for created in the image of God. So I want us to wrestle with the identity of Imago Dei that we're created with. I want us to wrestle with the practice of Imago Dei. So this is the identity that we have that's to be expressed in the way that we live in this world. And then lastly, I want us to look at the perfect model of the Imago Dei. So we're going to work through these three movements and then we'll close out. All right. Sound good? Great, here we go. So first, we'll consider how God has designed us. He's given us the identity of Imago Dei. We see this in verse 26, which says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. All right, so right out of the bat, you see this idea of Imago Dei, that we're created in the image of God. Human beings are created in such a way that we have the image of God implanted on us. We are his image bearers. And it's worth noting that we live in a world that seeks to define us by our differences, whether it be race, whether it be gender, or even our vocation. But God begins with our sameness here. God begins by the idea that we are created within his image. Image From the very beginning, God gives humanity an identity as his image bearers. And so before we dive into differences, we need to first start with how we're created in sameness by this living God. And we get, the, we get two words here that really give some definition to this idea that we're created in God's image. All right, so you get two Hebrew words here. And the first one is teselim. Can you say that word with me? Teselim. The second word is demuth. Can you say that? Demuth. Teselim and demuth. All right. So teselim is what you see in your, your passage that says image. And it speaks to our representation of God. That we, as created in his image, are to represent God in his creation. And the second word, demuth, is translated likeness, which means that we are, we, it speaks to our resemblance of God in the way that we share and part of his nature, all right? So um, the idea of Teselim, that we are created to image God, um, if you, as I wrestled and I looked, with, uh, looked at just about a number of different books this past week, almost all of them relate this back to Moses trying to speak into the culture about these created statues or images that kings and rulers would make and then strategically place throughout the land that they expressed their authority, 
All right, so what would happen here is that these kings and these leaders would make these images and then they would go into towns within the, world, the, the land that they oversaw and in the city squares they would place these images so that anybody that's coming to do business, anybody that's coming to, that's passing through the town, you're going to go through the town square, uh, anybody that's coming into contact with a place, a strategic city that he gives oversight to, they're going to see his image and they're, they made it so big and they're trying to make it in his, uh, the same like, likeness of this uh, person because they want the, this, these people that are traveling through to stop, to notice, to look, to think, and to ponder on this, this ruler that is exercising authority over the land. And what Moses is trying to say is that's exactly what God did with creation, the creation of man. Whenever God created, one, one person puts it like this, that um, you see one of, in the Ten Commandments, that God says, don't make an image in my likeness. One of the reasons that he says that is because he's already made it, and it's you. He's created man in his own image to give representation of him throughout creation. It's speaking to purpose here for us in our life. If you look at how we're created in the image of God, you're created as a representation of God that whenever all creation looks at you as well as other humanity, they look and they see that there truly is a God, a God that has created us in his image and we're just, we're just show the goodness of this God to a watching world. John Piper puts it like this, images are made to image. Why do you ever set up an image of something to image it? So if God made us, unlike all the other animals in his image, whatever it means in detail, this it means clearly God is the reality and we are the image and images are created to set forth the reality. So here's what this means. like you have a really big job. <laughs> You have a really big job in this world as being created in the image of God that you represent him in this world, that you are to show the world in the way that you represent him that there is a living God and that he is good, that he's the ultimate reality and we are the ones that are showing the reality that there is a God and that he is good. You are a sign that he is a God that is creative and that he's beautiful by the differences that we do have, the color of our skin, even the differences in our gender, that we have a God that is vast and complex, that we are created with minds that can think and ponder and wonder, and then that we are also human beings that possess ability to act upon the things that we think on this world gives voice to who our God is and that we are created in his image. So not only does Imago Dei speak to the reality that we image God, but it also shows that we are like him. All right, that's the second word here. It's the word demuth. So the word demuth, it literally translates to be like, all right, to be like. And it's speaking that we share in God's nature, that we are created to live as he lives and to do as he does, all right? So there's um, a book that Hannah Anderson wrote, 
called Made for More. If you're looking for, um, especially ladies, um, this is a, a great book for you as you're wrestling through how you are created in the image of God and the expression of that in your life. Hannah Anderson speaks to this in a female voice. And it's truly helpful. Like I, I was reading the book this past week and I would really encourage it to you. And as she was wrestling with this idea of likeness, she put it in the term of DNA. All right. And so as she says, we learn in high school biology, every living creature possesses DNA. All right. And so DNA, it does two things. Um, it shows, it determines both what you will be as well as what you will do. All right, so if a plant is, has DNA, it, what will, it will be and what it will reproduce is a plant, and the function that it will do is the things that plants do. If a, a bird has DNA, it's going to represent, and it's going to reflect, or it's going to reproduce a bird, and it's going to do the things that birds do. We are created in, the, in a similar nature, we're like God, that we have, a similar, we have a share in his nature, which means that in a lot of ways, what God does is how we are to also live in this world. She puts it like this, being human means sharing God's nature in some way. Being human means living as he lives and doing what he does. Just as your DNA determines what you will look like and how your body will function, being made in God's image determines what you are made to be and what you are made to do. So not only are we to represent God in this world by the way that people can look at us and the way that we are designed and created by God as a representation of him, but even the acts that we do, the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we do in this world is to also to show the, how we have a shared nature with him and representing his likeness in this world that whenever people see our works, they see the things that we do, they see that our God is good. See? So the most Google question of who in 2022 is the question, who am I? And here's the good news for us about our God, as well as the Bible that we are studying here tonight, that our God is not a God that tries to tuck away our purpose and our value and our worth far into the biblical account, but at the very beginning, he spells out and he's very explicit what our identity is, and that's that we are created in his image. That we share in his nature, that we are like him, but that we are also his image bearers, that we give representation to him, to a watching world. And it shows how deeply significant your life is. Every person that is created in this world, that's given life in this world, has this identity, the sameness that we all are created in the image of God. And it means that you have significance, and it means you have worth, and it means you have value. So not only do we find our identity in Genesis chapter 1, but we also find how to practice our identity, which we see in verses 27 through 30. So look. God gave us a shape and a form, and it's to be expressed in this world in the way that we live. There's practices that we flesh out our identity in the way that we live and walk with God in this world, and we see it in verses 27 through 30, all right? So um, you're, we're going to find the first two in verse 27, and we're going to find the final one in verse 28. So I'm going to kind of divide this passage in a couple of ways so that 
Let's read verse 27. I'll give you the first two, and then we'll dive to 28 so we can look at the last one. So here's what it says, all right? So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. We see two things within this verse in the way that we practice our identity as being created as image bearers of God. The first one is this, is that you are to live in a deep, dependent relationship with him. You're to live in a deep, dependent relationship with him, all right? So notice here that there's a lot of repetition, right? So you have verse 26, we're going to make man in our own image. Then you have it said twice again in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. And this this repetition is to show us that our identity is derived from God. Our very identity, we're not created, it's not said that we are created in his image because of how unique and wonderful we are. We drive our identity from this living God himself. Augustine puts it like this, God made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. You see throughout the first three chapters of Genesis that we are to walk in deep, dependent relationship with God. You see it in verse uh, 26 through, 20, or through 31 in chapter 1 where God creates us male and female. And that we, you see God speaking to both male and female who are created in his image of how we're to function and live in this world. In essence, what he's saying is like, hey, you are to have relationship with me. You're to listen to my voice and the way that I'm speaking to you is the way that you actually work out how you live in this world. You see in Genesis chapter two that you have Adam who's living with God and God's giving him instruction and he's carrying out the duties and responsibilities that God has called him to in this world. And then he gifts Eve to him in order for them to image God together in this world, and they live in perfect relationship with him. Genesis chapter 3, you see after the fall that God comes in, in the time of um, the dew, he comes and he walks amongst the, the garden to come and walk with Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve run and hide. What is depicting here is that this is a regular pattern that God does with Adam and Eve, that he comes and he walks and he relates and he lives with Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with him. All of this is showing that, look, you were created with an identity as image bearers of God that show us to live out that identity that we are to live in deep, dependent relationship with him. Another way to kind of express this is like identity of Imago Dei shows that we belong to him. All right, so Hannah Anderson again says this, we return items to the persons whom the object bears their image. We see this in Mark chapter 12 with Jesus himself. So the Pharisees are coming and they're trying to trap Jesus with this debate about how you do taxes. And so they come and they, they say, hey, are you supposed to pay taxes to um, Caesar or are you supposed to do something different? And so what Jesus does is he asks for them to go and find an, uh, a coin and to bring it back to them. And so he says, whose image and inscription is on the coin? And so the Pharisees respond, well, it's Caesar's image that's on the coin. And then Jesus turns the table on its head and says this, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus turns this trap that was in order to try to pit him against the Pharisees as well as doctrinal truth, and he flips it on its head to use it as a teaching moment on the Imago Dei. And that our being 
made in God's image means that we live in utter dependence on him, that we belong to him. That you return, it, we, we do this today. Like, I mean, if you think about just the different images and the ways that we put our image on different things, if you're a farmer, what do you put on your cattle? You put your image. If it gets lost, then where do you return it to? The person whose image is on the cattle. This is not something that's foreign to us, but this is the exact way that God created us to live and function with him. You belong to him. The way that you live fully alive in this world is that if you live in a deep, dependent relationship with him. And so the second thing that we see in verse 27 here is that we are created male and female. All right, it says this, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Here's what this speaks to, all right? It speaks that you are to live in a loving relationship with others. It's not that you're just created for a relationship with God and that you're supposed to have this holy huddle with him that you get off in isolation with God, but you're actually created to have loving relationships with others in this world. Now, I want us to see that um, here that last week we looked at God as a personal triune God. We see it more fully expressed in how we're created in his image here in this idea of a triune God in the way that we're created for relationship with one another. So being made in the image of a triune social God, he had perfect fellowship amongst himself before this world was even created. That he creates us male and female shows that we, true, we too, in order to live fully alive in this world, need companionship. We need relationships in our life. One author has put it like this, that for us to live in isolation means that we no longer are actually living as human because we are created in the tri image of a triune God, and so therefore we're created for companionship in this world. Now, um, a lot of times we run to this passage to talk about the marital relationship, and rightfully so. Like you get to verse 28, and it talks about being fruit fruitful and multiplying, and then um, practicing that throughout, and filling the earth and practicing that throughout our lifetime. But um, I, I believe that there's more that's taking place here. It, you have to stop and you have to think about the life of Jesus here, right? So if we're to say that um, we're only to step into relationship for the purpose of marriage, then you're saying that Jesus lived a less than full life when he walked here in this world because he never got married. I, what the truth of is happening here is that it's speaking to our need for relationships. And look, I, there's a way that I think we need to reflect on this in a way that is healthy for us as a church to re, kind of rethink friendships in the life of our church. All right? So in a lot of ways, we bring our culture into the church because we look at the opposite sex and we objectify them as a threat to intimacy in the home. You, you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to use like coded language because of young ears that are in this uh, room. All right, so in a lot of ways, like we, here's sort of some of the ways that you see it like flesh itself out. You go into one another's home, and uh, if it's like a church activity, you have all the guys that get into a room and they spend the whole night together, and then all the ladies get into a room and they have like it's all the ladies that hang out. Now, listen, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. There's times where it's like, hey, guys, I want you to get out of the room because it's like us ladies just want some time together. You know what I'm saying? That's okay. But whenever, if we're doing this because we view the opposite sex as a threat 
and we objectify them to the intimacy of the home, we're not functioning fully in the way that God has given us freedom as his brother, as the family of God. We are not to objectify each other and view each other as a threat, but we're to see each other as brothers and sisters of the bride of Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like we're the family of God. We're supposed to step into relationship and we can have friendship. Now this doesn't mean that we're like stupid about it, right? Like you're not putting yourself in these weird situations where like the, the sin and the fallenness of our heart can step in here. But it does mean that, look, we need to, we need to rethink how we look at friendships here in this, the life of the church, that we, we can step in and we can enjoy being friends with uh, one another and viewing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and not as someone that is a threat to our marriage or somebody that's going to like uh, really oppose the, the intimacy of the home. You see what I'm saying? We need, to, we need to view each other in the light that Jesus viewed women in his life as well as those that were around and viewed Jesus as well. Like we want to practice that in the life of the church. I want this to be a, uh, I want the culture of our church to be a place where we have deep, meaningful relationships amongst our body. Like deep, meaningful relationships. And I believe that this is what um, this verse 27 is also speaking to, right? So those are the first two. We see the last one in verse 28 through 30. It says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth, all right? So the third one that we see here is that we are to steward creation like God. We are to care for and steward God's creation as his representative, as we saw earlier. We are to image God in the way that we create life. So you see God create all of the world, all the universe, and the, like throughout all of Genesis chapter 1, life comes from God. And God shares this identity with us whenever he creates us male and female that we can, uh, we can be fruitful, we can be multiplied, and we can fill the earth. This is a part of us expressing the identity that God has given us as image bearers of him. But we also image God in the way that we exercise responsibility here, thinking kind of about our work. So you have the creational mandate here. And part of that is that as we see this world, as we're fruitful and we multiply and we subdue it, that we're to rule rule the fish of the sea, that we're to rule the birds of the air, that we're to rule every uh, crawling creature that's in this world. And as we do that, we're taking ownership and responsibility for the creation that God has put us in this world as his representatives to express that authority here in this world. And so as we step into this, as you live out all three of these things, that we are to live in deep, dependent relationship with God, that we live in loving relationship with one another and we uh, express the stewardship that God has created us with over his creation in this world. When we express our identity of the Imago Dei, we do these practices, we live fully alive here. When you express these and you live these out, when you're walking in deep, dependent relationship with God as you were created to, when you're expressing companionship, loving, deep relationship here in this world, when you're expressing that the work of stewarding God's creation in your work and the way that you live out this life, it leads to a full life. Because you're living in the way that God has purposefully created you. The opposite happens too, though. When your life feels empty, when you feel lost, 
when you feel like there's something that's lacking in your life, it's usually because one of these three is out of whack. That there's something that the way that you were created in the image of God is not being fully expressed, and so you don't feel full, you don't feel fully alive in the way that you live in this world. And so if you're like me, like you need a model that shows us what it actually looks like. We get this, okay, here's what Here's what it looks like to be the image bearers of God. You are to live in deep, dependent relationship with him. You're to walk in companionship with other beings in this world. You're expressed stewardship over his creation. But, like, what does that look like? Like, do we have a model or an example? Like, this past week, like, Lucas, he, he's incredible at creating these graphic designs. He's expressing something to me. He's explaining something. I'm like, hey, do you have, like, a model or example that you can like throw up that I can see. Like we, we need these images. We need models that go before us that can show us what it actually looks like. And we get that in the image and the perfect model of Jesus. All right. So there's a couple of verses that speak to this in the New Testament. And then you also have an interaction that's really important for us to understand how Jesus is the perfect model of the Imago Dei. So Colossians 1.15 says this, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So if you want to know if Jesus is the one that makes the invisible God visible because of the way that he lived this life here amongst other human beings. If you want to know what God is like, Paul's saying in the book of Colossians, then you look at the life of Jesus. The author of Hebrews says something similar. He says, verse 3, uh, chapter 1, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So again, hey, if you want to know the radiance of who God is, you want to know the fame and the wonder and the splendor of who God is, then you look at Jesus. You look at Jesus, who is the exact expression of his nature. If you want to know what it looked like for God to engage minorities in this world, if you want to know what, how God cared for the marginalized in this world, if you want to know how he stepped into the life of broken people, if you want to know what it looked like to walk in perfect obedience in this life before God, if you want to know what it looked like to have deep dependent relationship with God in this life, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what perfect companionship looked like in friends here in this world, you look at Jesus. If you want to see how uh, expressing stewardship over God's creation, that he speaks to the storms and they listen to his voice and they obey, you look at Jesus. He's the perfect image of God. He's the exact expression of his nature. One of his disciples in John chapter 14, as Jesus is addressing them before he goes to his death, um, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Uh, you hear, I mean, just put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They hear that Jesus is about to leave them and they're distraught and he's talking through just the final instructions that he has for them before he leaves. Philip, out of a sense of desperation, just show us the Father and that's enough for us. And then here's how Jesus res responds to him. Have I been among you this whole time and you still don't know me? Here's what he says. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. He's the perfect image of God. He's the perfect model for how we live out the Imago Dei. 
Now, here's the thing about Jesus, all right? He's both a corrective lens as well as the mirror for us in this life. He's a corrective lens in that he gives us the perfect depiction of what it looks like to live out our identity as the Mago Dei. If you want to know what it looks like, you look at Jesus. You go pick up the scriptures. You look at the gospels. You read about his life. You see that he, how he lived out this life amongst a watching world. He's the corrective lens for us that can't see the full picture. If you want to see the full picture, you put on the lens of scripture and you can see this perfect image of Jesus who lives out our identity of the Mago Dei. But he's also the mirror. He's the mirror because as you look at the life of Jesus, then you also see how you've fallen short of living out the identity of Imago Dei. Whenever you, you look at Jesus, you see how we have fallen short of living in deep dependence on God. When you look at Jesus and you see the way that he treats other people, that he speaks to other people, that he he acknowledges the identity, significance, worth, and value of all of God's image bearers in this world, and you think about your own life, you see how you fall short. When you look at Jesus and the way that he expressed stewardship over creation and how we try to use everything for our own personal existence, that we try to take things that God has given us and we turn it out as like the idol of our life rather than using it as a gift in our life, we see that how we have fallen short in stewarding our identity as the Imago Dei in this world, expressing stewardship over God's creation. And so he's not only the corrective lens that we get to see the perfect image of what it looks like to live out the identity of Imago Dei, but he's also the mirror to us that shows us how we've fallen short. What happens in Genesis chapter 3, we'll touch this on this in further depth here in a, a few weeks, but what happens is you have Satan that comes into the garden, and he takes this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he comes and he offers it up, and what happens here is that this offer of the fruit takes Adam and Eve from a dependent, deep relationship with God to where they're now placing that dependency on themselves. And it completely mars the identity of Imago Dei inside of them. They, they lose the nature by which they were created to share with God in this world, and it's completely marred the way that we live and we walk in this world. And so the question is, like, how do we get it back? How do we get back this opportunity to live with God in deep, dependent relationship? How we get to express companionship in this world? How we get to live as stewards of God's creation? How do we step back into this? Is there even a way? Well, the good news for us is that this perfect image bearer of God himself, he actually lays down his life so he can share his identity with us. Jesus, on the night that he's betrayed, after living perfectly in this life, showing us what it looks like to walk with, with God himself, Jesus lays down his, his life for his friends, you and me, and then he's resurrected from the grave, and whenever we trust in him, what the Bible says is that we're united with Jesus. So look, what happens is Jesus, the perfect image bearer of God, he lays down his life for your and my sin. The thing that we deserved, his death, he takes on for us 
so that he can then share his perfect identity with us and we get to be united with him. So what the Bible tells us, Romans chapter five and six says that when we're united with Jesus, Jesus, sin entered through one man, which was Adam, and Jesus dealt with sin through one man so that we can be reconciled in what Verse or chapter six says is that we can be reunited in this perfect identity and relationship with God through Jesus. We see this function in baptism that we're united with Jesus, that we are buried with Him in death, that we are resurrected to new life. And the beautiful picture is that we get this identity of Jesus as we live with Him in this world. So, look, if you want to have a restored identity of the Imago Dei inside of you, it becomes by you uniting yourself with Jesus, that you express full faith full dependence on this perfect image of God who lived and died and was risen again for you. So look, what the paradox of all of this is, is that you look at Jesus, you get the corrective lens, you get to see what it looks like to live perfectly with him, but you also get the mirror that you get to see how you've fallen short. The paradox is that when we recognize we are not what we should be, we are in the perfect place to be made what we could be. When we see ourself for who we truly are, which is that we've fallen short, the Bible says that you're in the perfect spot. You're in the exact place that you need to be in order for you to be made right with God again. He's got you right where he wants you. And so here's the beauty about the gospel is that you don't need to go try to clean up the imperfection that's in your life. You don't need to try to go live out these three things so that you can make up for the ways that you've fallen short. The beautiful picture of the gospel is that God asks you only to put your worst foot forward. That you don't have to go and try to do anything to earn or deserve this identity that he shares with you, but it's by his grace that he shares his identity with you. That you acknowledge there's nothing that I can do. I need someone that can live and perform fully for me so that I can't, that I don't have to do it myself because it's impossible. I can't do it. And when we're at that moment that we recognize that we are a complete mess and there's nothing that we can do to fix ourselves, Jesus says, I've got you right where I want you. All you need to do is to believe fully in exactly what I've done for you. And it's the great exchange. He takes everything that's bad about us and gives us everything that's good about him. And the gift is that we get to live in deep, dependent relationship with God. We talked about passing of peace, that we have peace with God and then we have peace with one another. We get to experience the companionship as brothers and sisters in Christ as God created us and intended us to do. That we get to step into our work and we get to work as unto God in everything that we do. And to the point where people look at our works and they give glory to God because of what he's doing in us and through us. That's what God saves us for. He shares his identity with us so that we can live into the identity that he created us with from the very beginning. So let me share just like a story that I think kind of like puts a full wrap on this and then we'll conclude, all right? So um, the rapper Lecrae is a Christian that is a rapper, all right? So he shared the story um, about this time that he was doing a, a, 
a performance in LA. And so while he's in LA, he goes to a shop. And as he is doing um, some shopping there, he goes and he starts looking around and the prices are just extravagant on all the clothing that's in there. He walks up to just a plain white t-shirt, picks it up, looks at the price tag, $640. And he's like, am I missing something about this shirt? It's like, did they thread it with like white gold? It, what, what's going on with this shirt? He's just like flabbergasted by it. He like talks to his friends. Hey, am I missing something about this shirt? It, it seems just like a plain white shirt to me. What, what's so special about it? And so they have a dialogue. They can't figure it out. And so he's like, I finally came to this point where I just, I couldn't like get over it. And I, he went to the front desk and asked, hey, w- am I missing something about this shirt? It's just like a plain white shirt. Like, it, is there something in it? Like, did, like have, has someone stuffed something in it? Like, if I spray it or if I get, like, white light, is there going to be some, like, map that takes me to some personal treasure? Like, what's going on with this shirt? And uh, the, the front desk person's like, no, it, there's nothing that's, like, crazy about it. It's just, like, cotton and, like, some polyester that's in there. And uh, he's like, well, why $640? And here's what he said, the clerk said. It's valuable because of who designed it. It's valuable because of whose name is on it. Look, every person that's in this room has significance, has worth, has value because God has placed his imprint, his, you're made in his image, his name is on you because he created you in his image, Imago Dei. And the beauty about Jesus is that while the shirt didn't have anything in it, when we give our life to Jesus, he comes and fills us. We get the Holy Spirit. We get to walk with the Spirit. We get to live in union with God. We get to express a different nature than what we lived beforehand. Our old self has died. Our new self is resurrected with Jesus. We get to walk in union with him. That means Galatians chapter 6, the fruit of the Spirit, gets to be the identity that we get to live out here in this world. That we get to walk in full dependence on God. That you don't have to experience separation from him, but you get to walk in perfect union with him. That whenever we sin, we can come and we can bring our sin to God. And John, 1 John 1 says that when When we confess our sin, we have a high priest who is faithful to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We get to walk with God. We get to live and experience companionship as it was intended to be. We get to walk in repentance before one another. And the grace that we experience is the grace we get to extend to other people in our life. We get to experience what it looks like to live the stewardship of God over his creation as a family of God together here in this world. It's not just a kingdom that's something far off in advance. We get to experience in part here and now. And it's all because when God created this world, he stopped and had a divine dialogue. Let us make man in our image. In our image, we created him. He placed his name on you and he's filled you with his Holy Spirit. And we get to walk in union with him. Praise be to God, amen? Let's pray.